0: Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a sovereign God who is providentially at work to accomplish your perfect decreed will. Lord, we, we also understand from your word that you use the, the secondary causes of the, the, the prayers of your people, the praises of your people, the obedience of your people, and so God, we ask that you would... Help us to be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit from your word um, and to be obedient as citizens of Missouri, of this community, of the United States of America. Father, we also ask that you would help us today to be good stewards of the gift that you have given us in your word, that we will not take it lightly, but that we will submit And consider how you would have us apply it to our daily lives. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So have you personally been present for a miraculous healing work of God? Have you personally seen someone blind from birth given complete restoration of their sight? Not on TBN. I mean, like, were you there? Have you experienced the healing of someone who had been a cripple for his or her entire life and saw her get up and walk? If this were happening in our day, with the advent of modern and instantaneous communication, do you think we would all know about it? We would have plentiful evidence. We would know who the person is and how they're performing this healing. We would have multiple accounts But such are the kinds of miracles that took place in in Jesus' public ministry on earth. And he became famous for it. People knew who he was. And then this ministry of Jesus continued through his chosen apostles in the early days of the establishment of Christ's church. And as we've said about Acts, this apostolic era was indeed unique. So today we study the first apostolic miracle in the book of Acts. It's a, the way Luke gives it to us, we, we think it must be a prominent example of what he said in chapter 2, verse 43, that all was coming upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And this particular miracle takes place on one of their daily visits to the temple that we heard about in chapter 2, verse 46. Why does Luke give us this miracle? He seems to be demonstrating how the power and the authority of Jesus continues to be at work through the apostles by the presence of the Holy Spirit whom he has given them. And then the context which follows of Peter preaching the gospel again shows that the purpose of the miracle is gospel advancement. So we'll see in this miracle in Acts 3, the the compassion of Jesus at work through the apostles, and we'll see the power and authority of Christ at work through the apostles. We should also be asking ourselves then, is this miracle meant to stand alone, or is it a living illustration of the power and authority of Jesus to heal broken sinners, to save lost souls? Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Luke indicates, as we said in in chapter 2, verse 43, that there were indeed other miracles, but he chooses to narrate this one. Why this one? I'll give you a couple of reasons. First of all, this miracle sets in motion events that carry all the way through chapter 4, verse 31, and miracles such as these explain the growing reputation of the apostles. Peter will use this opportunity to preach Christ from the Torah, again calling people to repentance from sin and turning to God through Jesus. And while some respond in faith, it will also result in the beginning of rising opposition from the Jewish religious establishment. Peter and John will be interrogated and incarcerated. So it carries forward what happens in the text, but secondly, I want you to note this. As it was with Jesus' miracles in the narrative of Luke's gospel, there is an underlying theological parallel to be seen between physical and spiritual healing enabled by Jesus. So as we go through the text, uh, here's my outline for this morning. We'll talk about the plight of this man in need, to whom Peter and John respond with compassion. And they perform a public miracle by the authority of Jesus, which leads to, first of all, praising God from this man, and then results in being persuasive evidence of Jesus' power and authority to heal and to save. So what do we make of of the plight of this man in need? Well, first of all, we're going to notice, as Luke likes to give us the setting, so we we note the time and the location as well as the situation that he's facing. So what do we know about the time and the location? Well, we're given that it's Peter and John going up at the hour of prayer. This is the 3 p.m. hour of prayer. Jews had three daily prayer times. There was one at 9 a.m., one at noon, and and one at 3 p.m., or they would have called it the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. So this is the afternoon prayer hour. And all of this takes place at the temple. In Jerusalem, the temple was not only the highest point and a magnificent structure, but it remained the heart of Jewish faith and practice. The disciples are attending here regularly at this point as a testimony to their fellow Jews that they devoutly honor the God of Israel. But they go also because that is where a great number of God-fearing people are gathered, a perfect location for regular gospel proclamation. Our text also speaks of an entrance to the temple called the Beautiful Gate, or the gate that is called Beautiful As you see this picture of of Herod's temple provided by Logos Bible software, they tell you that they most likely believe this main entrance to the east side of the temple to be the one that is called the beautiful gate. Some people think it's the section between the women's courtyard and, and the courtyard of men, that gate of Nicanor, because that gate was made of Corinthian bronze, and so maybe it would have shown Brightly, when the light was shining on it. But most likely, the way it's described here as an entrance to the temple, we think it probably is an entrance from the court of the Gentiles into the women's uh, courtyard. Either one could be possible. We don't know for sure. But what do the hour of prayer and the temple and a main gate, if not the main gate, all add up to? There are lots of witnesses to this miracle. And there's a large reaction to it. But what about the situation of this man? The infirmity that he faces is that he was lame from birth. Literally, the text says he was crippled from his mother's womb. A background commentary on the New Testament explains that congenital infirmities or deformities, abnormalities from birth were viewed as harder to cure than other kinds. So this would be understood as a particularly difficult case and an extra surprising and an impressive miracle. I'll bring this up again in a moment, but there are intentional parallels, we believe, from the way that Luke talks about a similar miracle performed by Jesus and one performed by Peter, and later in Acts 14, one performed by Paul. So also, there, are, it's helpful for us to note details in culture Of the times that help us explain the following about about alms. Alms are, are just the gifts of money or goods given to the poor. Here's what Craig Keener says in a background commentary Begging alms at public places was common in antiquity, although other people did not stress charity as the Jewish people did. In Judaism, only those who could not work made their living this way, but charity was in fact highly regarded. And the lame or blind would not have to go hungry, especially if they were near the temple. So this was a good location, and alms was something that was intended to be something good for Jews to participate in, according to God's law for them. So we have this man who finds himself in a very difficult plight, and he's been doing this probably for more than 30 years. Peter and John come, and they respond compassionately. I want you to notice a couple of things about the way that Peter and John respond with compassion. By the way, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word compassion. Compassion is very closely associated with mercy from God. It's that thing that arises from the nature and the character of God that has caring concern, even an emotional, sympathetic, empathetic, caring concern for those who are hurting, for those who are in a bad situation, and desires to do something about it. That's compassion. And Peter and John here reflect the compassion that they learned from Jesus. They demonstrate a genuine concern. They see him they see this man, they talk to him, they direct their attention at him, and they command his attention. You've probably heard in our culture people saying something like, I see you, to mean that, that I, I genuinely see you, I care about you, and I don't know if there's any, you know, wokeness connected with I see you, so I don't mean it like that. When I hear it, I I simply, I actually think to myself, there's something positive to be noted there. I see you and your situation. I care about you. What John and Peter demonstrate here is kind of out of the ordinary. Greco-Roman culture at large would view people who are crippled as a sign of weakness. It often resulted in them being the brunt of cheap cheap jokes, of cruel humor. And although the Jews were encouraged by God's law to give alms and lend aid to those in society who couldn't help themselves, who were the least of these, it's not unlikely that many Jews thought such a deformity was probably due to a particularly heinous sin committed by the individual. Or if this person was lame or or blind from birth, then it more likely was due to some heinous sin committed by their parents or their ancestors. Maybe you'll remember that in John chapter 9, Jesus corrects this automatic assumption. No, no, it's not necessarily due to someone's sin. It may be for the purpose of God glorifying himself. Not only do Peter and John demonstrate genuine concern, they give him even more than he anticipates. At the moment, Peter and John have no money to give. I'll just mention here that this is not to say that they would not have done so. It is to say that in this situation, they were able to do more. By restoring this man to good health, Peter was, in fact, giving him a way to provide for himself in the future by the normal God-given means. He would now be able to experience the fulfillment that God intends when he provides for our needs as we work, the way that God has designed for us. This popped up in our small group last week, so I'm going to ask you, will we work in the new heavens and the new earth Our culture has created this idea that our lives are aimed at reaching retirement from work. Rest is good, but God designed rest in the cycle of work. All that to say, I don't know for sure in what sense we'll be working in heaven, but my guess is that we'll at least be doing creative kinds of work. And I know for sure that if God has us doing so, it will bring us great joy in the presence of God. The Christian doesn't ignore compassion ministry. In fact, the Christian engages in compassion ministry precisely because he or she knows that such love arises from the one who has come and still lives to meet our greatest need. Not only this, but our genuine concern for others results in us going the extra mile to help people. If possible, We strive to help them get back on their own two feet to be able to fulfill their human design as they are enabled to do by God. If you haven't ever read it, I recommend you read a book called When Helping Hurts. It suggests to us that sometimes in our, our help of other people who are in difficult situations that we in fact go the extra mile other than just simply giving them money, we go the extra mile and be involved in their lives to try to help them do as much as they possibly can to be fulfilled in God's design for them. It even goes so far as to suggest that sometimes our desires for uh, short-term missions are a little bit misplaced, that we might not be hurting in times that we think we're helping. So we want to keep that in mind. It's actually harder work for us to do compassion ministry if we're going to be involved at that level. It's good for us to help with Options Pregnancy Clinic. It's good for us to help with Cam. It's even better for you to be connected to an individual you have found who is in need. So too for this man that Peter and John help with the greater need of his healing of this physical infirmity, there's still yet an even greater need, isn't there? And they know the one who offers a cure for the eternal sickness of indwelling sin. Just how well do they know? They themselves have been healed, received the cure, been restored to God through Jesus. Put yourself in there if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Just how well do you know the miraculous healing of God? We talked about this last week. Is there any miracle that could be done to the physical bodies that is not outshone by the miracle of God taking dead, degenerate souls and giving us beating spiritual hearts to allow us to respond to him? There is no greater miracle. And this too they will address, not to this man only, but to all who gather because of this man's healing. So we have a public miracle that displays the power and authority of Jesus. First, do you notice whether or not Peter needs to invoke spirits for help? Which most ancient miracle workers would have done. No hocus pocus. Forgive me. No pushing people over really hard on the forehead. Interestingly, nor does Peter even pray. We've been told by James, the brother of Jesus, that we ought to pray for healing. We know that we pray according to the will of God and that he can do as he chooses, but we're instructed there to to bring one another before the elders and have them pray over you for healing. Peter doesn't even pray. Jesus gave his apostles unique power to perform miracles. He simply commands the man to be healed in the name of Jesus. What does in the name of of Jesus Christ mean? Well, it means that by the personhood that his name represents in other words by the authority of God himself which Jesus has from the father that's what in the name of Jesus means how did Jesus begin the great commission with which we are most likely very familiar Matthew 28:18 how did he begin the great commission Jesus came and he said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and now I'm going to give you a command Based on that authority, you're going to go in my authority, the authority of God. So when he commands them to go and make more disciples, they're acting under his authority to carry out his will as his representatives. So Peter here is, is able to simply command the man to be healed, but not by his own power and authority, no, by that of the Lord Jesus Christ does Peter have any power and authority? The illustration we always use, right, is being uh, an ambassador for the president of the United States of America, and you go somewhere, and if you were to try to say something on your own authority, they don't care a lick about what you have to say. But if you're telling them something based on the authority of the president of the United States of America, there is authority there. Peter doesn't have his own authority. His Authority is given him by the Lord Jesus Christ. This miracle parallels one of Jesus' own miracles, as we said in Luke chapter 5. There in verses 17 to 26, Jesus heals a paralytic who has been lowered by his friends into the house through the roof. Do you remember? And then there's another parallel by Paul, which we believe Luke intentionally does as well, which is Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. God heals a paralytic through Paul there as well. And then Paul and Barnabas must redirect attention away from themselves and toward God, just as we will see Peter and John doing in the context that follows here. One difference, as we look back to that that one in Luke that I just referred to, One difference in the Luke passage we see is that Jesus has authority from himself to not only heal, Jesus has authority to forgive sin. The other major difference here is that Peter aims to be abundantly clear that he deserves no credit for his power and authority, but only the Lord Jesus. As we said, because of the miracle, people gather around them at Solomon's portico in the temple. In Acts chapter 3, verse 12, you will read, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? Peter will continue to be even more explicit about whom they should be crediting with this miracle. In verse 16, he says, And his name, by faith in his name, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, Faith has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And even if this isn't the faith of the man, it is the faith of the Apostle Peter. Peter will reinforce this same thing before the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Jesus is the source of this miracle. And because of his power and authority, And it is because his power and authority is one and the same as the power and authority of God. Notice, too, that this miracle is instantaneous and complete. Look again at verses 7 and 8. Peter takes him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Never has this man walked, never has he had healthy feet or ankles. I find it interesting that as we get to verse 8, he not only gets up, he leaps up, and he walks, and he's able to run around leaping for joy. Remember, he has never learned to walk. (laughs) He's immediately healed, and he immediately knows how to use these. We crawled and stumped. Some of us, army crawled. Some of us are even more weird and we like scooted around in our butts for a while. You know what I'm talking about? The army crawl. One of my kids did what I called the dolphin flop, you know, just whoop, forward with her arms. You had to learn to walk. This man miraculously walks, leaps. Let me tell you why this matters so much. In the context of this public miracle, Peter performs by the power and authority of Jesus. We observe that this man's response is to be praising God. Again, let me explain why this is is so important. Now, of course, this is the only reasonable response to true miracles, is to praise God. Who alone could accomplish such things? Who alone stands outside of the creation which he has made and can... Uh, comprehensively change any part of it at any point in time that he so desires? Who can tell Joshua, okay, I'll make the sun stand still. Earth, stop rotating for a little while. God. Who makes the sun rise every morning? Why does gravity work? Why do the stars shine? Because God sustains them by the word of his power. Only God can accomplish such things. And I was telling you about this man, you know, being able to walk and even leaping. His reaction employs a, a rare term in Greek for leaping. It uses the Greek word halomai, which echoes language from the Septuagint. The Septuagint just means the Old Testament translation into Greek. In the Septuagint, there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 35, the beginning of verse 6, which says this, and it uses the same word, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. In Isaiah, this arrives in the context of the Messianic age. What did we hear earlier in Acts what has now begun to take place? What era do we now live in? These are the last days. We are living in the last days. The thing that comes next is the return of our king, right? For Luke, then, such things are evidence that the Christ has indeed come and accomplished far better than we could have ever hoped for or dreamed. Not only that, he he now carries out his work on earth by the presence of his people. So that leads us to a second thing this miracle is intended to accomplish beyond a result of of this single individual praising God. And that is amazing. Amazing. The compassion is amazing. The result that this man praises God is amazing. But there's more happening here. It is for the purpose of compassion to this particular man, but it's not this only. More broadly and even more fundamentally, it is persuasive evidence of Christ's power to save. People see him. They recognize him. They know who this guy is. He's been sitting, begging at the temple gate for years and years and years. And he is now perfectly and completely healed. Praising God. They are naturally filled with wonder and amazement. What would you feel like if you were there remember how we started? I don't know if you have, but I have never seen a miracle like this with my own eyes or experienced it in person, never. I would be in awe. I would go find the guys. I would ask this guy every question I possibly could. What on earth happened to you? And it draws a crowd to Peter and John. There really should be no doubt that Luke intends to not only show how this miracle carries forward the narrative of all that happens next, but that this healing power and authority from Christ parallels the even greater miracle that we spoke of, that Christ can spiritually forgive and restore sinners to God. The religious leaders will ask when they arrest them and and question them in Acts chapter 4, verse 7, they'll say, And when they had arrested them and set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Peter's like, well, I'm glad I asked that question. Look at how he responds. Chapter four, verses, you got to look in your Bibles now because I don't have this on the screen. the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Where does this power and authority of Jesus to heal and to save leave us today? Have you experienced a miraculous work of God through faith in Jesus Christ? The power of Jesus is at work to make a people for himself. If, if a now physically absent Jesus can heal like this, doesn't he have power from his risen and reigning position? Doesn't he have power to forgive sin and restore to God those who come humbly to him? Would you be free Do you want to be free, set free from self, set free from sin? Do you feel the weight of the burden that you carry to be so self-absorbed? Do you feel the weight of the burden that you carry, that there is a God who exists and he loves you and you are accountable to him and that if you think you have to make yourself right with him, do you not feel the weight of that burden. Would you be free? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And when we again are tempted to pick up our burdens, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You are my child. You now work, serve alongside me. Keep coming to Jesus. And isn't it amazing to think that the power of Jesus is still at work through his people for the praise of his glory? You get to be a part of that. Since God's power, God's limitless power to change people, is still at work through us, we keep praying. As the apostles will do, together with the disciples after this, we keep on pursuing Christ. We keep proclaiming Him. The verse that we emphasize here at Branson Bible Church is sort of a, a key verse, a central focus for us is Colossians 1:28 and 29. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And I do this with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Let's pray, and then we'll sing together again, and then take the Lord's table. Father God, we thank you. We know that all the power and authority to make us right with you, comes from you and is for you. But we do aim to live our lives gratefully responding in praise, gratefully responding in obedience. Father, those of us here whom you have chosen and made your own, we pray together. for any soul gathered with us this morning who has not yet humbled himself or herself, submitting to Jesus as the only Lord who can heal their infirmity of sin that separates them from God. May they come to Jesus on his terms, knowing that he alone has paid for their sin. He alone is the Lord who is risen and reigning and returning. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.